All right, our scripture reading comes from Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 13. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered from, rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore stri strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience." For the word of Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We are in our Hold Fast sermon series, our series going through Hebrews of holding fast uh, to God, to the anchor of hope, that which gives us confidence for how we are to live in this world, in this place. There's a lot of questions, I think, of how people should live in general, a lot of questions about how Christians specifically should act and live in today's society and culture. And I think Hebrews gives a good guide for what it means to not just have bumper sticker theology, to have a, a Twitter uh, a response 
but to really dig deep into um, what is um, at stake uh, for us, but also what, um, how we can go about living uh, today. I think a lot of the questions come up because of COVID. COVID was an interesting time, wasn't it? Kind of glad it's over. I think it's over. It's nice to have a break at first, I think, from doing all the things that uh, were required of us. But I think we then realized that we weren't, weren't doing all the things and we got a little frustrated with life. I know I, know I did. Uh, as it continued uh, much longer than we expected, we began to loathe the lockdown, the separation from communities, the continual canceling of plans. I think when Michael was first sent home from kindergarten, we thought, oh, he'll be back in school in three weeks. This will blow over. We'll have a Cinco de Mayo party. And then when Cinco de Mayo, we were still locked down, we said, okay, well, we'll have a Fourth of July party. And then when we didn't have a Fourth of July party, we said, we'll have another party. And then finally, it got to uh, lessons and carols planning for that. So this is like November and I'm like, I'm starting to plan. I'm starting to get excited. Uh, the possibility of having a party, of having people over, of hosting again. And then suddenly the numbers started going back up. And I was so angry and mad that we couldn't do these things anymore. And I was like, I haven't planned anything for a year. And the first time I plan something, it has to get canceled before it even gets started. But then... As the world opened up, we began to add things back into our lives that we missed. It seems like we overloaded them a little bit. I know I'm speaking for myself. I don't think I'm, it's too much of a stretch to speak for other people as well. But as we try to make up for the two to two and a half years of rest that we didn't embrace, well, the things that we lost, we feel like we need to grab back a hold of them. I think resting is a huge challenge for us in our society. And yet it seems like we're always tired and we never truly find time to rest. We zone out, we binge watch, we medicate and self-medicate. We work harder, we vacation, we check out, we abdicate. And I think we rarely rest. And yet we are finite beings who need sleep, who need rest, who need to eat, who need to take breaks. Rest in Scripture comes often uh, attached to the word Sabbath. And these two words together mean ceasing from work. If you watch Top Chef, the end of the quickfire challenge, Padma always says, hands up, utensils down. That is the image of rest that we are given in Scripture over and over again. Hands up, utensils down. Take a break. Stop striving. Cease. Trust what God is doing. But we don't rest. I think there are several reasons we don't rest. The reason we don't rest is because we consume. I think we're always looking for a new thing uh, to save our souls. Uh, my friend Joshua Burdett and I are always um, texting with each other, and I sent him a, a, a few of the items that I had recent, recently purchased, some pictures of those, and he sent me back a few pictures of the things he had recently purchased, and he said, we're sending back and forth pictures of things that are going to save our souls, right? That are going to give us rest in this place. And I said, yes, I think that's right. Um, we're being sarcastic, but it feels that way sometimes. There's always more to consume. There were insatiable beings and beasts almost. We consume 
content? Have you seen the new show? Have you watched the new season of The Bear? Have you watched the last season of Ted Lasso? We have experience. Where have you been lately? Have you been here? Have you been there? How is Vancouver? How is Seattle? How is Kansas City? How is Virginia? How is Breckenridge? How is Montana going to be? You know, we have all these places that we're going to that we think we can find rest in. The things. Do you have this? Have you bought this yet? Um, What are you going to get for this and that? People. Do you know this person? Do you know that person? They'll give you rest, right? Maybe, maybe not. This is our social currency, the things that we consume, the things that we have that tell us that and tell other people that we are important, that we have rest, that we have made it. Culture tells us this is a good thing, but I think the reality is that it's slowly consuming us, ourselves. John D. Rockefeller, maybe you know that name at one point, Uh, owned 1% of the U.S. economy. He was the richest man. He had 90% of the oil and gas industry of his time, and he was interviewed, and they said, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It's never ceasing. We're never fully satisfied. I think one of the reasons we don't rest is because we're alone. We're siloed off. We live farther away from family than ever before. We're more mobile. All right. We're more mobile. Um, And it seems like we're more connected than ever. Uh, We have social media that has this air of connectivity to it, but it often proves more isolating. Where do your best friends live? They live here in Denver. You see them on a regular basis. You talk to them on a regular basis. Mine don't live here, um, which is both the reality of the, the depths of the relationships that we've built, but also the reality of how mobile and movement-oriented we are. No one truly knows us. We don't live in places long enough to be known. As soon as we get bored with a place, we move on. We can hide behind our beautiful suburban facades. Facades, we, most of us don't have shared walls anymore, if you, unless you live in apartments, um, unless you live in a city where it's close enough that you can hear the fights and the relationships uh, that are happening nearby as well. Um, we don't open up about the things that weigh on our hearts. It's scary. It's scary to open up about things. Um, this is learned behavior. We have social anxiety because of the past trauma that we've experienced and how when we have shared our hurts and our pains, they've often been used against us. When we were leaving Atlanta, I was um, under a lot of pressure. There was a lot of things that were um, kind of spoken to that had been used against me in this way. And uh, I was speaking to my, my counselor at the time, and I said, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to open up and to love again, essentially. And he said, yeah, it is. And I said, because I have a choice, right? I can either guard myself so that I'm not hurt again, or I can be open enough to love, to maybe see some fruitfulness come out of that, but know still that I will be hurt again. We experience pain when we're vulnerable, when we are not alone. That's a part of relationships. C.S. Lewis said, There is no safe investment. 
To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. I think the third reason we don't rest is because of the hardness of our hearts. We don't believe the promises of God. We reject his offer of rest that he extends to us. And so we keep looking for meaning and purpose in all these other parts and other areas of our lives. We churn up some vague meaning individualized for ourselves apart from God, apart from those closest to us, and then we continue to churn away to achieve this sense of purpose only to find ourselves continually unfulfilled, unsatisfied continually looking for the promises that seem to have been promised to us. The psalm that the author of Hebrews quotes from is Psalm 95. It's referencing the Israelites' rebellion in the wilderness. Most of us, I'm sure, know the story of how God delivered and freed Israel, the people of Israel, from slavery in Egypt. It was miraculous. He led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt of making bricks without any straw. And yet, when they were in the wilderness, they said, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. They pined for the good old days of slavery they complained in their rebellion against the food. We, didn't, we had pots of meat before. Here we don't have anything. And so God gave them bread and he gave them quail to be able to eat. And then they said, you know, um, Moses has been up on that mountain a little too long for us. He was talking to God. He was interceding on their behalf. And he was up there a little too long, and so they gathered up all the gold that they had plundered from the Egyptians on their way out of town, and they made a golden calf for themselves to worship. And Aaron, Moses' brother, the priest, said, Behold, the gods who delivered you out of the land of slavery. The Israelites were worshiping other gods immediately. It seems like the irony of this moment is that that takes place in Exodus 32, is that in the chapter right before them, God has just instructed Moses that above all, the people of Israel are to uphold the Sabbath as a day of rest from all their labors. He's just told them they need to rest, and yet they go and they look for other gods. They say, we're going we're gonna to do it our own way. We're not going to rest. We have things to do. Moses isn't removed from his hardness of heart either. God instructs him to provide water for the people by speaking to rocks. And Moses gets frustrated and loses patience, and he strikes the rock with his staff instead. Water comes out, but Moses did it his own way. And because of that disobedience, God did not let him enter his land, the promised land, the land of rest. We don't rest because we believe first and foremost we'll do life our own way. We'll consume, we'll be alone, wardened off from the community 
as around us our hearts slowly becoming more calloused. And yet, we're still so tired. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> um, I realized this week that you know, we justify, um, in my mind, where we're at um, with the church plant and the work that God has given us um, by saying we've really only been at it for about a couple of years, three years maybe. The reality is we've been here five years, and that time um, can't be, um, you know, it was in some ways taken away, like doesn't come back. It's still an actual five years of time, no matter how we slice and dice it, and um, we're getting tired. Um, and that's just to say there's, there's a lot of work um, to be done. Um, and I think uh, in some ways I'm, I'm asking for, for help as well. Um, we're tired, and I know we're all tired um, because that's the life of, that we live at in this culture, in this place. And yet, I believe that God still longs to show us true rest. In chapter 4, verse 1, the author tells us that this offer of rest is still here for those who believe. In 4.9, he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. One commentator says that rest is a theological term expressing the will of God brought to completion. Rest points back to God's Sabbath rest when the good work of creation was finished, and it points forward to the completed work of redemption when every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This idea of rest, of Sabbath, comes from the very act of creation that God did at the very beginning of the story of the Bible. I think it's often spoken of that we get through chapter 1 of Genesis and we get to chapter 2 and it says, and on the seventh day God rested after he did all his work, after his work of creation was complete. But I think that's a little short-sighted because I believe that God's work was finally complete when he rested. This includes the seventh day. Of creation. Resting was the completion of creation. I think if God rested because creation was complete, then we have a very deist view of God. The deist view of God says that God is separate from creation. He created it and then he stepped away. He wound it up like a clock and then no longer does any work within creation. But I believe God delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt shows us that God is still involved. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, reminds us that God is still intimately involved in his creation. The Holy Spirit continuing to redeem the hearts of men and women show us that God is still at work in his creation in this place. And his rest is a part of the created order in which he invites us into the rhythms of grace, the redemption that Jesus brings to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does he do it? He does it through the people of God and the word of God. The instruction in our passage is that we continue 
to exhort one another in our faith, in perseverance, in life lived toward God. That was the danger that the writer of Hebrews is writing against, to make sure that no one leaves the faith, that they don't give up on God and what he is doing in Jesus Christ and go back to their old ways, but they would continue on to maintain, to attain that rest that God longs for them. This exhortation happens through the thanksgiving and praising of God together in real, authentic, caring community. This is how we reach our neighborhoods, our community, our neighbors, our families with the good news of Jesus Christ by being a community where our gifts are engaged to provide a place of rest, a place of healing, a place of grace and mercy and love. This is the work of the church to create this kind of place. I listened to a podcast uh, last week uh, called As in Heaven. It's very interesting. They're talking a lot about uh, the de-churched at this point. Um, and uh, they uh, said they were talking about trauma, uh, both in the church and just otherwise. They said uh, the guest was relating a study that was done over the course of 18 months with survivors of 9-11. They said those who avoided depending on others, those who were, I'm going to do it on my own, had regular flashbacks, were irritable, suffered, from depression and couldn't get past the trauma that they experienced. Massive, massive trauma on that day. Others, though, who had become well-adjusted, who were humble, who found meaning in their lives post-9-11, were those who had deep, securely attached relationships and communities where they could be known. And as a practitioner, as as a counselor and therapist, he said, you can come to me, I can give you medicine, And that will help you for a time. And there will be some of those who need medicine for a lot of their lives, maybe the rest of their lives. He said, but community, community is like food. It's sustenance for life. To really live, to live well, is to be in community. This community, I believe, happens when it's centered on the word of God. It was such a, this was actually going to be two, these two, this passage, this last little section, I was like, ah, that's on the word of God. We'll separate that out. It's not a part of this passage. And yet it's in the middle of the paragraph. And it kept hitting me as like, this is a part of what he's saying. That for us to be able to be a community in this way where we can provide rest, we need to be one that's centered on the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing, dividing soul and spirit. Those aren't divisions that take place, soul and spirit. It divides joints and marrow It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. It exposes our consumerism. It cuts away at the divisions we have with one another. It cuts out the sin and burdens that we carry with one another. It knows the lies that we tell ourselves about our purpose in life and exposes us to the cleansing light and life that God continually invites us into. The Word of God cuts deeper and any two-edged sword, piercing, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, the thoughts and intentions of our heart. 
this is rest that vacations can't provide, that more things can't give us, but it's a reorientation to the life that God has for us. It's not another add-on program. It's not an escape from the pain and suffering of our early, our mid, or our late-life crises that we face. But it's a path through them, knowing that God sees us, that He knows us, and that He loves us just as we are. Rest acknowledges that God is ultimately in control of our lives, and He loves us. God loves us. It's not necessarily another practice that we have to add on. It's probably going to be work to cut things out to make room for rest in our lives. But more so than that, it's an orientation that we have that God is with us, that he sees us, that he knows us, and that he loves us. It's believing that he is in control of our lives no matter what. How do we know this is true? I long for this, but I want to know that it's true. I think we know it's true because the Gospel of John tells us that the Word of God came and put on flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we could not live, the life in restful submission to the will of God, even to the point of death. His body was pierced by a spear and nail. His body hung from a cross. His body was naked and exposed to all. His heart was pierced to pour forth life, giving water and blood. And on the third day, he was raised to resurrection life by the very Spirit of God who speaks to us today by his word, extending the invitation of rest to us once again today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing. Embrace the rest that God has for you, that he offers us. It has been my prayer long that the table would be a place uh, that we can be a people that offer rest that the world is striving so hard to achieve. I so badly want a place, this, this table to be a place of rest. And I need your help. Um, I don't know um, what it looks like exactly, but I do know that we have to do it together. Let's pray. Um, Father, uh, uh, we're tired. There's a lot of life that is happening around us, um, and it feels like it is just going at breakneck speed. Um, help us to see uh, the pace of life that you offer us. Um, you say your burden is light, your yoke uh, is light. You give rest to the weary, how you long to gather us into your, um, into your person, into your bosom to give us rest, to know that you care deeply for us. Help us to embrace that to heed your um, word to us, to encourage and to exhort one another to that rest through thanksgiving and praise of what you have done in our lives. Lord, open our ears to hear you, 
to hear that invitation and open our mouths to be able to extend that invitation to one another, to tell others uh, with thanksgiving and praise what you have done. Help us as the table, this community, be a place of rest for you to know the grace and mercy that you pour out upon us through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.